Good morning, and uh, happy National Backup Preacher Day. All across the globe, uh, senior ministers are taking the Sunday off and stuck it to us. But hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, so if you have your scriptures with us, if you could turn to the very last page, pretty easy, uh, besides the concordance and the table of measurements, the very last page, Revelation 22, is going to be where we're going to be at this morning. But before we talk about the Bible, I want to talk about another book that has had a profound impact on my life uh, pretty much from day one. It's, it's a literary masterpiece. I'm sure it's one of Pulitzer. It's got mystery. It's got intrigue. It's got suspense. It breaks that fourth wall, if that's a possibility, in, in, uh, in a book. It's got great character development. The, you, you really feel for the person, and, and, it's got a, and it's got a catch at the end. Of course, I'm talking about there's a monster at the end of this book by lovable, furry, old Grover. Anybody familiar with that book? Nobody? Okay, well, good, I'll tell you. So in this book, Grover, lovable, furry, old Grover from Sesame Street, hears that there's a monster at the end of the book. So each and every page, he begs the reader, please don't turn the page. Do you understand there's a monster at the end of this book? I'm scared. I don't want to get there. So he, he, he ties it up with rope. He ties a page so that the reader can't turn it. He, he puts up a brick wall so that, the, so that the reader can't turn the next page because he hears that there's a monster at the end of the book. And of course, if you've read the book, if you haven't, I'm sorry, I'm giving away the ending. The monster at the end of the book, does anybody know? Is Grover. Lovable, furry old Grover. He got himself all worked up over the end of the book because there's something scary at the end and he's like, oh, it's just me. How silly of me. I bring this book up because for the longest time growing up, I was scared to death of Revelation. Is anybody with me? Any time that anybody preached on Revelation or any time anybody had a Sunday school class or we ever talked about it, I was always nervous. I was always scared about it. And then you hear all the other preachers and all the other teachers around using Revelation to, to pinpoint the exact date of, of Jesus coming and, and using events such as World War II and Vietnam and uh, President Obama and Saddam Hussein and Hitler and all of these people, they take these events and they, they plug them into Revelation and it ends up being scary. And I remember growing up, you know, 10, 12 years old, man, when I would mess up, you know, when I would sin or when I would do something wrong, I remember crawling in my bed, praying to God, please don't send me to hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it again. Please don't send me to hell. And then, of course, the next day I did the same thing. And this vicious cycle repeated. And we, we get all worked up about revelation. Oh, no. And if you're following along, if, you, if you've kept up in the Bible reading, I'm sure you probably had this, you know, this kind of thing. I don't want to turn the page. After Jude, let's just stick with Jude. The Revelation's scary. And after reading it 
several, several times, Revelation has become my favorite book of the Bible. It should be yours, too. It's not scary at all. In fact, if we read it through the lens of the reader that was intended to read it in the first place, John's recipients, the people that John the Apostle wrote this letter to, they understood it perfectly. You see, almost all of the images that are in Revelation come straight from the Old Testament. So his readers would have known well what those meant. And yet, we try to pick these out and and pinpoint certain events to predict something that the book of Revelation is not about. And I want to read this this for you at the very end. And this is also a repeat because Revelation, if if you've read it, repeats a lot. All the lyrics that we've sung almost came straight out of Revelation. You see the words over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And by putting those holy, holy, holy together on top of each other, it just reinforces it. It's like, it's like if you're a, a triple dog dare, if you're a Christmas story fan, right? It, it's the height of holiness. And throughout Revelation, you see of God's holiness, of Jesus' holiness, holy, holy, holy. Straight out of the Old Testament. Remember when God gave the, the laws on Mount Sinai, He said, I am holy. I'm calling you to holiness because I am holy. Casey talked about Sermon on the Mount last week. Remember Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Holiness. Set apart. And I want to read this for you. And again, this is from the very beginning. We read in Revelation chapter 1 this exact same thing. John says, blessed is he who reads these scriptures aloud, these prophecies, and take it to heart. And then, in Revelation chapter 22, if you're there with me, the very end says, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspired the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I'm coming soon. And then he says, Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Prophecy. Of all the scariness that we, that we ascribe to Revelation, of all the things that we get ourselves worked up about, I think it's because we don't fully understand that word. Prophecy. When we think of prophecy, we immediately think future predictive events. Am I right? Most, most time we think, when we're thinking of prophecy, we think of a future event that's being predicted. But think about it. Throughout the entire Old Testament, the prophets of the time, yes, talked about the coming of Jesus. Yes, alluded to the end when God was going to restore all things, much like Revelation. But there were never timetables involved. And Dr. Robert Lowry, if you're familiar with him, he was a a seminary professor at Lincoln Christian Seminary, uh, spent his life studying Revelation and Scriptures and how it all fits in. And he found that of all the prophecy in the Bible, 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, of all the prophets, only 2% was predictive. Only 2% dealt with events that were in the future. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is God calling us to His will in light of future events. Notice what he says in 22. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Who keeps them. My friends, when we think about prophecy, we need to be thinking about obedience. How do we keep these prophecies? What do these prophecies mean to us now in light of future events? John's readers, as Casey mentioned, going back to the, to the first part of Revelation, John's readers are going through two things. Persecution and the temptation to fall into the culture of the time. Does that sound familiar at all? Persecution and the temptation to fall into the culture of their time. Is that not what happened through the entire Old Testament? God called the people of Israel to be holy because He is holy, and yet throughout each and every page, what do we see? We see either the Israelites being taken into captivity or falling into the idolatry, worshiping other gods, or taking in the culture of those around them. The prophets were God's messengers to the people to say, come back to me. You're countercultural. I've called you to be holy, to be set apart, to be blameless, to be something different other than the world. Come back to me. Over and over again throughout Scripture, God's call to repentance because of some future events that are going to happen. The Messiah is coming to save us. So how should we then live as Israelites with the notion that the Messiah is coming? We are to live holy lives, blameless lives. We are to look to God when we're persecuted. We are to stand firm in our faith that God is going to deliver us. Then, in the New Testament, as Jesus is coming, and again, it goes back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus took all of the laws from the Old Testament and made them about relationships and not religion. Right? He said, you've heard that it was said, do this, but I tell you to go the extra mile, to take this extra step, to make it be about relationships more than religion. And then he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Do not get consumed by the culture of your time. Don't get greedy. Don't be consumed with power. Don't be consumed with wealth. Don't fall into the trap of idolatry, of sexual sin, of all of these things. Jesus calls His people to be perfect because God is perfect. Throughout the letters of Paul, 
John, James, Peter. They're calls to God's people to be holy, to stand firm, to stand their ground, and to look to God for deliverance. And then we get to Revelation. Blessed is the person that reads this prophecy aloud and obeys it. What do we obey? If you look throughout each page of Revelation, you see this. All of the big things called Babylon or the ideas of Babylon, they're about two things. They're about empires and they're about consumerism. They're about empires and consumerism. And consumerism. Falling into the culture and falling into temptation, into persecution. And as John is relaying this vision to God, he starts with seven churches, all struggling with certain things. All of them but one have good things going for them, right? If you remember those letters to the churches. But in each one of them, he says, he who has an ear, an ear let him hear. Repent, come back to me. Stand firm in your faith. Don't listen to the culture of this world, currently Rome. But stand firm. Be true to your first love, Jesus Christ, and trust Him because He's going to be the one that's victorious in the end. And throughout Revelation, the letter of Revelation is about the kingdoms falling. Babylon falling, even in its great and majestic kingdom that it was, it fell. It's about Rome, the majestic, the biggest empire that had ever been to that point. John's saying, it's going to be ashes. It's going to be rubble. And it's been so easy to pinpoint things in Revelation and say, well, that's happening now because God's not concerned with the empire himself He's concerned with the principle, and he's teaching us that no matter what nation it is, no matter what empire it is, whether it's the U.S., whether it's Russia, whether it's China, Japan, England, France, whatever, it's temporary. It is not going to last. There was a time Jesus is walking the streets of Jerusalem. I wish I was there because I could just see Jesus' eyes kind of roll. But it's like his disciples are taking him on a tour of Jerusalem. Like, hey, Jesus, check out these buildings, man. Aren't they awesome? Check these out. Look how big they are. Look how massive they are. Jesus says, told them, he looked around. Oh, yeah, they're pretty cool buildings, but guess what? They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be rubble. They're going to be ashes. So stop putting your trust and your faith in buildings, in commerce, in money. The marks of the beast we talk about, in, well, what's the mark of the beast? Is it the vaccine? Is it cryptocurrency? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? The mark of the beast is anything that is not for Christ. That's why it can be pinpointed, because it's anything that is not of Christ. Anything. 
We've been called to be holy because God is holy. And revelation is a promise. At first, you think revelation is a warning. Revelation is a promise. It's a promise that Jesus came the first time to save us, but the second time he's coming is coming in a different way. He's coming in power, in authority, in splendor, and the victory is going to be complete. For those that stand firm, for those that keep the faith, for those that do not let themselves get corrupted by the empires of this world, whether it be Babylon or Rome or U.S. or whatever it is. If we stand firm, we follow Jesus, and we stay true to God, then we are victorious along with Him. That word is pretty cool. Uh, The word victory is used over and over again in Revelation. And anybody, if if you're familiar with Greek, maybe you know this, uh, but the, the word victory, actually, they had a Greek god for victory, and it was actually Nike, or Nike, actually, if in the Greek, but Nike. That's where the Nike swoosh, just do it, uh, comes from. That word, victory. And God is saying, through John's revelation, all of these big and mighty things that look so powerful, that look so shiny, that look so scary sometimes, are going to be nothing compared to the kingdom of God. And Casey mentioned last week about this upside-down thinking. This king, this holy king, this king over every king, the name that bows, the name that every knee bows to, is the king that gave himself up for us. The kingdom of God, this new city that Jesus is, is restoring that God is bringing down from heaven is not a city based on money. It's not a city based on buildings. It's not a city based on anything other than God's glory. And this is the cool part about Revelation is you have to see how it fits to the entire old entire Bible. Listen to this. See if this sounds familiar. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and his name will be on their foreheads. Not Caesar's name. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Listen to this. There will will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the picture of God bringing down a new Jerusalem, a new city. And when we talk about Revelation, we have to understand that God's purpose is to restore everything. In Genesis, relationships were broken. Our relationship with God, obviously, was broken. But our relationship with each other was broken. Our relationship with creation 
was broken. Every relationship that we were a part of was broken. Revelation is God restoring every one of those relationships. Through the victory. Every one of those relationships. Notice, do you see the idea of a garden and a tree of life? Well, where does that come from? That comes all the way from the very first page of the Bible. The first page references the last page, and the last page references the first page, and it all goes together, every page in between. And did you notice one of the coolest things I found several years ago in studying this? Do you notice what he says about the sun? There's no need for the sun. No need. Because the light of Christ, the glory of God, is enough. Do you know, have you ever thought about this in the Genesis creation story? You can check this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The very first day, it says that God separated light from darkness. He called, he called the, the night, he called the darkness night and the day, day. But do you know, according to the creation story, God did not create the sun until the fourth day? Doesn't that sound a lot like Revelation 22? What was the light? What was the light? before the sun was created. And what was the darkness? And if you notice in Revelation chapter 22, God is promising that that darkness is no more. There is no more darkness. No more need for the sun because God's glory is enough. And notice, God's dwelling with his people on his throne in the new Jerusalem Does that give you any remembrance of the garden? My mom passed away several years ago. And I can remember when she took her final breath, my aunt and my sister and Amy and and some others were in the room with us. She took her final breath and we sang the song, In the Garden. Everybody familiar with In the Garden? And he walks with me. And he talks with me. He tells me that I am his own. That comes from Genesis. Remember, God is walking in the garden. He's like, Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve are hiding because of their sin. Notice Revelation chapter 22. God is back dwelling with his people in the garden. So, my friends, all as I hope today to get out of this message is to understand how the Bible fits together, and how amazing that is. God's revelation is not just the last book of the Bible. God's revelation is the fact that these 66 books fit perfectly together from beginning to end with all of these different authors written all over the span of time as if God is telling us something. He's telling us, take heart, obey these prophecies. Stand firm until the end because there's going to be a day where we're all dining together basking in the glory of the one true Son. As we get ready for communion, I just want to tell a quick story. 
Maybe you've heard of her. She was called the face that launched a thousand vessels. Maybe you've heard of her as Helen of Troy. Now, there's actually two different stories about her, depending on which side you're, you're on. But the one I want to take to is Helen of Troy. Helen was the wife of the king of Sparta and was seduced by the prince of Troy and ended up going to Troy to live with him. And the king was furious of Sparta. He wanted her back. And so that was what launched the Trojan War. And you've heard of the Trojan Horse, I'm sure, in that same sort of um, mythological time. But that king set out this battle just to get his wife back who was seduced by the Trojans. My friends, we have been seduced by this world. We have fallen prey to it. We have, we have at times intertwined ourselves with this world. And God launched a mission to get us back. You're the face. I'm the face that launched a mission beyond all missions. That a king would give himself up for us just to have us back with him. And the story of Revelation, the story of the Bible, is God continually working to redeem us and bring him back to him. So as we take this cup and this bread, may we remember that sacrifice that he gave and the promise of our victory, of our Nike with him if we stand firm in the face of all that we're facing. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you breathe this, this living, it's active, and it gives us a promise. And sometimes we get so caught up in the scary things like images and dragons and, and beasts and things, but we miss the point that you win, that we win, and that you're coming to restore everything back to yourself. As we take this cup and this bread, may we continually remember that. May we can declare that with our lives. May we, may we continually work on being holy, blameless, like you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.